very nice profit chamber. You know, it's always good. Uh, hotels are always nice, you know, but being locked in a room, especially now with a toddler, is a little bit of a problem, you know, because she wants to go all directions. And in a hotel room, there's not many directions you can go, you know, or at least very far. So having a, you know, a bit more space is always appreciated. But as the table shows, my family and I are missionaries to Poland. Uh, the first question people always ask me is, you know, when are you going? Uh, I have already been. I was over there for 10 months, and during that time, we were able to start a church. And uh, I have a slideshow here that we're going to kind of click through. And uh, it's always dangerous when they give me a clicker. Usually, they have a laser on them, so if anybody falls asleep, right, I can point them at you and wake you guys up. So I'm just kidding. Maybe. Fall asleep, and we'll see. But... No, during this presentation, I'll kind of walk you guys through a little bit about what, what we did. But, you know, the, the question always is, well, how did you get there? You know, how did God call you to Poland? Uh, and that's, you know, kind of an interesting story. Before, uh, well, I guess I can back up to salvation. You know, I was saved in 2015, uh, surrendered my life to the Lord in 2019. And uh, from there, I was called into missions. And, um, you know, I went to Bible college, and I'm still in Bible college and grad school, and I'll probably be in there forever. So it feels some days, but uh, I was a missionary to Japan prior to Poland, and I remember in March of 2022, it was uh, one week after my daughter was born, my pastor, my sending church is Bible Baptist down in York, Pennsylvania, we're about two hours, uh, uh, I guess, west, south of here, um, and my pastor had said that he was going to take a mission trip to Poland, you know, to help with the Ukrainian refugees and all of that, and I had the great idea to leave my wife and, you know, newborn daughter uh, back home and, and travel five and a half thousand miles across the world. And I was excited. My wife wasn't, but uh, I don't know why, but I was super excited to do it. And, uh, you know, thankfully, by God's grace, she let me go and did not murder me when I got back. Um, but I went over there and I didn't go over there to change fields. That's what I have to really emphasize. I didn't go to change fields. I really didn't. I went just to help. I saw the need. The Bible talks a lot about, you know, seeing the need, especially lamentations when Jeremiah is weeping over his people. Uh, he says his eye has affected his heart, and very important for us to actually be seeing needs around us, because that's how we can help and minister, but that's another message we'll preach another time. But when I got over there, what I experienced, aside from the Ukrainian refugees, was Catholicism like I've never experienced before. Most of us are acquainted with some sort of Catholic. You know, maybe we live next to them, maybe we, you know, work next to somebody, maybe we've come out of it ourselves. But typically in America, Catholicism, they kind of stay behind, you know, their closed doors. So, you know, we see them go in and out of Mass. You know, we see the confessions, sure, we see, you know, Ash Wednesday or whatever it is, Tuesday or whatever, Lent and all of that. We see those things, but over there, it's totally different. Who here has ever seen a soul-winning Catholic? You ever seen a Catholic that soul wins? I assure you they do. They hand out tracts in Poland. They're actually going after people that are lost, nonetheless, but they're trying to bring them back into another lost faith. But what I saw was constantly these Catholics were going out and they were handing tracts out, and I was wondering, what, you know, what is this? And I didn't actually experience it firsthand or, or personally until I moved there. But as I started to look around the culture, I started to look at the people. What I noticed in this little town I was staying in of maybe 1,400 people, I saw there was a, a, it looked like a funeral procession of maybe 60 or 80 people walking around the town. And they would make a lap, and you could probably make the lap in 20 minutes or so, and they would make a lap, and then they would stop every so often, and they would kind of kneel down, and there were candles, and there were you know, a bunch of beads and whatnot. And I kind of got the general idea of what they were doing, 
And then I saw the priest was carrying what looked like a golden candlestick. You know, I'm not talking the ones in Revelation. This one was a little bit less pretty. But nonetheless, at the very top of that was an image of an elderly woman who I'm assuming had passed away. And if you're familiar with any Catholic theologies, what they were doing is they were practicing something called indulgences. Indulgences, really, we don't see here in America anymore because it's quite an antiquated practice. What that means is it's an old practice, but nonetheless, it's foundational to their theology. See, what Catholics believe is there's an intercessor or an intermediary between heaven and here, right? It's called, who knows it, purgatory, right? They believe you go to purgatory and there you must pay for your venial sins and your mortal sins and all of that. And and you can have loved ones that can be here on earth that are interceding for you, praying to get you through. You know, you can, of course, pay the priest, go figure, to get your loved ones to heaven faster. Or you can march around the city as I saw. And I began to take this in, and then I got on Google, and I started Googling, you know, local churches around me, and I really didn't find anything. I found a couple Mormon churches, a couple Jehovah's Witnesses churches, but I didn't find anything that was gospel-centered, whether that be evangelical, whether that be Baptist. I didn't find anything around us. And then finally, I found three that were in Warsaw, which is the city that I'm in, but those three churches are about seven people See, the problem in, 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 in the Polish mentality is they believe to be Polish is to be Catholic. They have no idea what you know, the Bible says. They have no idea what Baptist is. They have no idea what evangelicalism is. They don't even know, understand those terms because everything they've been taught is Catholicism. And what I'm going to walk you through here is just some pictures of people that we've been able to lead to the Lord. And, but once I came back from that trip in March, I... I asked my pastor, I said, Pastor Shaw, that's my, my pastor, I said, listen, Japan is closed due to COVID. I said, Poland is wide open. I said, we have about enough support to kind of get over there and get started. I said, well, you know, will you pray about perhaps potentially sending me over there? You know, I've been there, kind of already have done a mission trip, and we took about a month and a half to pray and fast about it, and then in August, I, I, I went over there. Uh, and from here, you'll see the day I moved in, and We had some particulars, you know, some things that we were praying about. We needed a house. We needed people to minister to. And you'll see all of that really just worked out. But the reason we are back in the States now is, again, if you're following the news at at whatever distance, no matter how far, you'll know there's a war going on in that part of the world. And uh, not to detract from the war that's going on in Israel as well, but uh, Poland is still reeling from much of that as they've seen about 5 million Ukrainians pour into their country, which is a lot country of about 41 million people, so to see an influx of five more, uh, a country the size of New Mexico, not very large, but there are 950 cities in Poland, so there's a lot of people for them to disperse to. Obviously, Warsaw, right behind me, you'll see is the capital, the biggest city, Uh, but our plans are to get back there as soon as we can. We do have a church over there that is currently without their pastor, and what I have switched to is I've switched to Zoom meetings, Facebook Messenger, you know, video meetings, uh, WhatsApp, stuff like that. And we are making a lot of preparations to get there. Now, what we do have is we have already obtained our residency. So we are residents of Poland, which is a, which is a big deal, especially in the EU. It's quite difficult to get residency, very difficult to get a visa. But we've had some local churches that have helped us, you know, kind of get that. Uh, it's called a volunteer visa. We are totally independent of them. Uh, but we are just kind of basically using them for our visa, and uh, you know, I shouldn't say using, it sounds terrible, but they know everything that's happening, you know, we're in contact with them, so the day that we get our support, you know, everybody wants to know, when are you going to go back, and I always say yesterday, you know, I, my heart is in Poland, I don't belong in the States, not that I don't love America, not that I don't love the people, but I love Poland, God has called us to Poland, so 
our desire is to get back there as soon as we possibly can, but get back with the church and just continue ministering. So if you would, just pray. We do, again, have prayer, letter, or prayer cards. We send out our bi-monthly prayer letter as well if you're interested in knowing about my family. You know, maybe you want to send me a mean email, say your preaching was terrible. You can send that to me if you'd like. Uh, my email, my phone number, everything is on the back. There are also some cards back there. I please, please, please ask that you do not take these. These are my tracks that were actually from Poland. I only brought about six back, and people keep taking them. <laughs> so I'm running out of them, but I had these printed in Poland. You can see my church name. You can see, you know, my, my Polish number if you'd like to try to call it. You know, it's nothing's going to happen, but uh, there are also some that are in Polish as well. If you'd like to, you know, Google Translate, it's always fun. You can read. I wrote that myself, uh, so you'll be able to read that and kind of just see, you know, a little bit about what we did. So I encourage you, but please don't take them. <laughs> so um, at this time, we can walk through this presentation, and again, if you have any questions, I'll be here after the service. love to be able to answer you those, uh, but you'll see my wife and daughter there. Obviously, my daughter was a little smaller, a little less more mobile, uh, and of course, my wife and I look the same. My wife better than I, as typical. Uh, but you'll see this is what's called Old Town Poland. So when you think of Europe, you know, you typically see something like this. You know, you see terracotta roofs, you see the old brass roofs that have now turned, to, or, or copper that have now turned into, you know, green. But what you're going to see here is you're going to see, yeah, the lasers typically don't work on TVs, but you're going to see those three steeples. You all see those? Those are Catholic churches. And you can see how small of a little radius they're in right now. And right behind me, yeah, perfect, we have the mouse showing those. Right behind me, there are three more. So right here in a tiny little radius, there are six Catholic churches. And what I'm standing on top of right now is actually one of their little bell towers. You know, they make you pay like two bucks. Of course, you got to pay for it to go up to the top. But I did. I wanted to go up and get some pictures. And, uh, but this was on Independence Day. So you can see all the people, the president's uh, palace, basically the White House is directly behind me. But... I have my sending church with me at this time. This is in November of 22, and uh, we had brought them out, and you know we were just so went in, handed some tracks out and whatnot. It's a big, big day for Poland. I actually got to meet the president on this day. It was pretty neat. You know, he was walking down the street, and uh, a funny story about that. I do speak a little bit of Polish for those of you wondering, and I was standing. You know, there was a you know a, a, a car, you know, barricade, motorcade coming down, and there was a bunch of people shaking a gentleman's hand, and I had no idea who it was. So I turned to a gentleman standing next to me. I said, you know, Kototoyes, which is who is this? And and he looks at me. He knows I speak English. He says, that's the president, dummy. He did actually call me that. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Przepraszam, I'm sorry. And he actually called me that. I, I swear, you know, excuse me for that, but he did. And uh, so I got to meet the president. It was pretty cool, you know, at an arm's length. Um, you see, my family and I were actually moving over to Poland. This is at JFK Airport. Uh, it's always cheaper to fly out of there for anybody wondering. Uh, so what we had is this is 10 suitcases. That's our entire life's belongings. We put everything into 10 suitcases and just went over there and restart. See my daughter on the flight. Uh, she, you know, was great as a seven and a half hour flight, and she really was absolutely perfect, you know, except on takeoff and, and landing, you know, but the, you know, the ears pop and whatnot. See the second picture here. Again, my, my daughter, she's set up in her room, and we are actually walking into our entryway right here. Now, a funny story about this. This is our apartment. You know, when I, in March is when we went over there, I started meeting with realtors toward the end of March. I already believed that I was going to go to Poland and my pastor was going to side with me and let me. So what I did was I started meeting with real, real estate companies over there. You have to meet with them to, to rent. And uh, it's a place called Rent Flat Poland. And I called them. I said, hey, you know, I, I, I want to rent. I'm going to be hopefully moving in August. I need to get an apartment. She asked me, she said, what are your requirements? And I had very, very low requirements, right? Check this out. I said, I want to be in the center of the city. 
pretty low requirement, right? I'm talking the capital. I want to be right in the hub of it. I said I want it to be, uh, you know, right in my budget range, you know, and, and, you know, which wasn't a whole lot. I said, and I would also like two bedrooms, you know, one for my daughter. I said, and we also want a bathtub, which finding a bathtub in Europe is like an impossibility because, you know, water and all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot of money. And she, uh, she called me, or she, she said, um, I know those things are typical in America. She said, but we don't really do that over here. She said, and by the way, she said, um, we have 5 million refugees in our city right now. She said, so uh, finding an apartment's, you know, impossible. I said, well, why don't you just work on it? You know, just, you know, just, just get to work on it. I didn't say it like that. I was obviously a little more gracious. I said, you know, just, you know, get to working on it. She said, okay, you know, we'll see what happens. A week later, no lie, one week later, seven days, she called me. I was down in South Carolina, called me at 3 a.m. because, you know, the time difference, six-hour time difference. She called me. She said, hey, you wouldn't believe it. I found an apartment for you. I said, okay, great. And I'm thinking it's going to be on the outskirts of the city or anything. She said, I don't know how it happened. She said, but you're in the center of the city. She said, it's $400 less than what you wanted me to have it at. She said, it has two bedrooms and two bathrooms, one of which has a bathtub. I said, no way. No way. That's all God. That's all God. Amen. That's not me. But I was very picky. Let me tell you, I really was. Not because I, 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 you know, I wanted to be in the center of all the action just because I wanted to. No, I wanted to be there because I was going to eventually start my church and my home. And I knew it would be a good springboard to be able to reach these people. So God and his providence and his uh, just, just wonderful majesty got us that place. And we were walking in. My wife, that was her first time seeing it. I had video toured it. When we moved to Warsaw, I drove over and got the keys. So I had already seen it. I knew she was going to love it. And uh, it was just wonderful. You'll see some of the men and women that helped us move over. Uh, on my left is my senior pastor, or executive pastor, his son, and then their wives and children. Very, very helpful to, to get everybody, you know, because one thing is the apartments are furnished. You know, you get all of your furniture and whatnot, but what you don't get is, you know, your dishes and, and, your, and your bedding and everything. So we had to go out and get all of that. You see, we helped labor with a, with a local church there for a period of time, for about two months. You know, we kind of just worked, kind of got to understand the culture a little bit, understand the people. That's Evangelichni Kostio Baptichni, which is uh, basically Baptist evangelizing church. It kind of translates awkwardly. Kostio, the middle word, is, is church. Obviously, Evangelichni is evangelistic, evangelism, and then Baptichni is uh, Baptist. So we helped them for a little while. Then we had, we had make, made some tracks. Again, the ones on, on your right, you can go back and you can see those. Again, translate those if you'd like. Uh, the other ones I don't have, but we're standing out front of actually Stalin's pal palace right here. Yes, the Stalin you're thinking of. <laughs> very, very beautiful uh, site. The Polish people hate when Americans take pictures in front of it, though, so uh, I took a picture in front of it. And then my church took a picture in front of it. <laughs> so my pastor said, hey, let's take a picture in front of it. So my church, this is, again, with the, they came and visited in November for a mission trip, help us distribute tracts. I had 10,000 of what you'll find back there printed, and we went over that. So we had about 12,000 distributed in one week. Phenomenal time. We had a bunch of people saved out of it. But going from your left to the right, you'll see my senior pastor, a couple uh, Ukrainians uh, that are in our church that visited, a couple members there, my family and I, and then uh, another family in the church that's kind of adopted us, basically, and then another member there. That's pastor of education all the way on the right. See, we were leading some people to Christ there. Uh, the the man, man on the left and the man on the right, they actually got saved. Andrew is this gentleman's name, and uh, unfortunately, I can never remember the gentleman on the left. And then the person in the middle was just handing tracks out. That was Renee uh, helping us there. 
And then you'll see uh, we had a devotion at my church or at, at my house. You know, I rented out some tables every night of our missions, uh, you know, trip. We were having devotionals. And, you know, during this time is actually when my church got started. Actually, right here, the picture on your right, you see that gentleman. His name is Andrew. And Andrew, when he was talking to my senior pastor, he asked, he said, well, you know, I get the missions work you're doing. I understand all of that. He spoke English very well. He said, uh, he said, you know, where's the church at? You know, you say that this guy has started a church. Where is it? And I didn't have anywhere yet. I didn't exactly get it started. I was just, you know, trying to witness and get people. And my pastor, if you knew him, you, you, you know, you could put this, uh, you could just visualize it. It was funny. But he's yelling across the street from me because I'm on the other side. And he calls me over. He says, uh, he says, Brother Matt. He says, this guy wants to come to church. He said, when is church? And this is on a Friday. And I was put on the spot, and I'm the missionary, right? My job is to have a church started, to, to, to reach people. So I said, um, Sunday at my house. Two days at my house. So two days at my, at my house is where we were at. Um, you can actually see Andrew's in the picture. He's on the right there. I know it's probably small. He brought his, uh, his fiance at the time. We had another gentleman, Victoria, and he's in the... Uh, crazy colored shirt there. Uh, he's a gentleman from the Congo that was there studying business. He came as well, and uh, we had a couple others in that picture that, that we can see, but here my church had left, my sending church had left, and this is now, uh, you know, just me and my family. We're uh, going through the foundations of what the church is. You know, in Catholicism, they say we are the church, and I wanted to teach that Jesus started the church. The foundation is Jesus alone, uh, those who belong in the church are those who confess Jesus Christ as Savior and have accepted him. So we went through all of that. I've shown the empty tomb here, and then we're talking about, uh, looks like, what is, what is repentance, actually? We were working through that, you know, again, teaching the biblical mandate for what that is, and uh, uh, just a great time. But the man that you see on your right, closest to me, he's in the black shirt. His name was Kuvarjit. Now, Jeet is his name for short. He was uh, a man from India who had moved to Poland, and, uh, you know, he, he was a resident there. Spoke Polish fluently, English fluently, but he was uh, a very devout Hindu man, very, very devout, and actually came to Christ. And, uh, you know, eventually you'll see, you know, he, he was baptized, and uh, it was just a wonderful time. But we had, you know, food fellowships afterward. Uh, we had a bakery right below us, you know, literally underneath of our, <laughs> you know, our, our house, which was really, really bad because I'd go down there. And, and Poland is very, very cheap. The, the, the exchange currency is about four to one. So I'd go down and get you know, biscuits and, and other things that I won't make you guys hungry about, and uh, ice cream and all kinds of good stuff. So a lady named Mary Rose was, was in our church as well. See Victorian again. Jeet, like I said, he got baptized in my bathtub. So see, I wasn't being picky for needing a bathtub. God knew. No, God, God, honestly, having that tub, it was massive, and I could never figure out why it was so big. And I quickly realized this was in uh, December or so, I, I believe it was. And a beautiful story, if you guys want to hear that, I'd love to tell you that afterward, um, just how he came to Christ and how his life has been radically transformed. Uh, very briefly, uh, when he did come, after he got saved, Jeet disappeared from my church for about three weeks, and I was texting him, emailing him, calling him, trying to figure out where he went, and when he finally came back, he said, Pastor, he said, don't be mad. He said, but I was going on the Catholics, to the Catholic churches and telling them that they need to repent and believe the gospel. And I'm like, Gene, I'm like, you don't know the scriptures yet. What are you doing? You know, this man, like when I would, when I would tell, like if I would reference Genesis, you know, I'd be like in Genesis 12, it says, and he would stop me and he'd be like, oh, Pastor, what's Genesis? No idea what the scriptures say, but he knew that Catholicism was wrong, you know, and he was just on fire for the Lord, still is, still doing great, Victorian as well. See, eventually we grew out of my house. We rented a building. This is uh, basically a YMCA. 
you know, we, we had went from three people to eventually 16 and then on up to 20. And, uh, you know, so we rented out a building. Nobody wanted to rent to me. You know, hotels, they didn't want to rent because, again, you know, Baptists, evangelistic, they don't understand what that is. They, they view us as a cult, and they'll tell you that. So finally, I found a YMCA. This room fit about 60 people. No, we didn't get there, unfortunately. Uh, but I had a banner made. It was Grace Baptist Church every Sunday at 1045, and then Thursdays at 8 p.m. We were doing online uh, uh, series as well. So my wife putting the tables up, and uh, it's the last and final picture here that uh, the, the, the initial picture that was called Old Town, this is our same place. It's just on Christmas Day, and this is right before we had to leave. Uh, and we, uh, again, we did leave at the end of March, right at the beginning of April. And now we're back. But hopefully I answered any of your questions. Again, if you have any more, please see me at my table. No question is off, off limits. If you want to just hear me speak Polish, I could do that as well. So, um, but at this time, it's honestly preaching time. I'm excited to be able to preach the Word of God. I love the Bible, amen. I love to just be able to get into it, just be able to study it. And I hope you do have a Bible. If not, hopefully your neighbor is nice enough, and hopefully they're Christian enough that have brought theirs. But in Genesis chapter 47, I want you to find that. Genesis in chapter 40, number 7. If I had to give this message a title, you know, I didn't plan this out. I was honestly just working all week on, on something to preach. But I would title this, A Pilgrim's Progress. And it's funny, your pastor said he's going to be starting his you know, Thanksgiving series of messages or, or, or message, how, however the Lord leads him. And this is somewhat, I guess you could say, of a Thanksgiving message, so hopefully maybe it'll fit into yours tonight, but we'll have to see what God has for us. But I would title it, A Pilgrim's Progress. In Genesis chapter 47, beginning in verse number, we'll begin in verse number 7. We see Jacob is presented to Pharaoh, and Jacob gives uh, quite an interesting answer, I think, for us this morning. Verse number 7 says, And Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And verse number 9 is where we're going to get most of our, our information for this morning. It says, And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years, few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in their pilgrimage, in the days of their pilgrimage. And if you underline or if you highlight in your Bible, if you do it on your phone, I would encourage you to underline the words pilgrimage there. And every time we see repeated words in the Bible, it's important for us to stop and say, hey, what's that there for? You know, God is telling us something, and God doesn't repeat himself just because we are slow to understanding, although that may be true, but God repeats himself because there's important doctrines that we must learn. Jacob uses the word pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. And every woman or man or child this morning who is trusting in Jesus as his or her Savior is on a pilgrimage back home. We heard about this song this morning, which is funny, I actually built it into my, my, my sermon this morning by Albert Brumley, I believe it was, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, which depicts the Christian's life, the Christian's pilgrimage on their way home. And we see Jacob, he says, the days of my life have been few and evil. They've been tough. It's been hard to live on this earth, but I'm on a pilgrimage. He says, Pharaoh, before you give me, you will see that he eventually gives him a land in Goshen, and they settle there, but Jacob Right at the front of it says, Pharaoh, I, I want you to understand that I'm on a pilgrimage here. I'm not settling down in this land. Although you may give it to me, 
I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm going to pass through in time. Let's pray and we'll begin. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. God, I thank you for giving us the Bible that we can look at, we can learn, we can compare our lives against it, and we can say, God, change me, mold me, direct me in the path that I need to go. This morning, I do pray for, God, those who are trusting in Christ as Savior, I pray that they would be encouraged, that they would turn their eyes back to you if they've turned away. God, there's so much happening in the world, there's evil in the world, and our eyes can get fixed and focused on that. God, if that's us, help us to turn back and say, I'm looking to my Savior. I'm watching my Savior. I can't wait to get home. God, for the person here that maybe says, I, I don't have a home in heaven. I'm not sure that, that I would go to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm walking that path. God, I pray that you would open that person's eyes and allow them to see their need for a Savior. Allow them to see their need that God loves us this morning. God wants to save us. God, I thank you for allowing me to stand in this pulpit. I pray that your word be magnified above mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Every time I think about this life, though, I think about it as a pilgrimage. You know, I was saved not too long ago, and I was saved totally out of the world, as we all were, but my life pattern was that of, and if I may confess, I I believe we're in an okay house this morning, but my life pattern was full of drugs and alcohol. That's what my life consisted of. And when I got saved, Christ put me on a radically different path that I had never experienced before in my life. My family's not saved. My dad confesses to be a believer, but really doesn't live it. My dad's still an alcoholic, and my mom is just vehemently against Christ. And so I was set on this radically different path. It was a total pilgrimage, you know, by myself, totally alone. My family had pushed me away. You saw that I had talked about my adopted family in that picture. That's some members in my church that kind of brought us in, and we... Honestly, we spend almost every major holiday with them. They're just that close to us, and we love them. And they have taught us and trained us and just shown us that we are on a path back home. But I think of Paul, who in 2 Corinthians, he said, we are ambassadors for Christ, which if you know what an ambassador means, that means that you're in a place that you're not from. You're sent somewhere by a king merely to represent him. You're not there to be there forever. You're just merely representing. You're just depicting what the king is going to be like. And that's what Paul says you and I's lives are like. He says, you're an ambassador for Christ. You don't belong in the world. I'm not going to wish that you were out of it because then there would be no gospel witness. But you don't belong there. Your sole purpose is just to represent me, represent Christ, represent the Savior, what he's like, love like Christ, you know, uh, 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 preach the word like Christ did and continue to lift up Christ like he eventually was lifted up. Amen? That should be our desire. We're simply representing him. But I titled the message, A Pilgrim's Progress, after the famous book that we probably, I know your pastor's read it, he's already ahead of me, A Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, the 17th century preacher who wrote the beautiful allegory. Who here has read it by by testimony of hands? Testimony of hands. All right, we got a lot of people we got to buy books for. Pastor, how about we just get them some books? Get those in your hands, amen? No, Pilgrim's Progress, beautiful, beautiful story. It's an allegory, which means uh, many of the characters depict real life events that's going to occur in a Christian. Uh, a lot of us would, w- would have read it. A lot of us have, but those who have not, maybe you say books aren't for me, Brother Matt, and you say, I want to watch the movie. There is a movie. It's kind of childish. It does an all right job, but uh, I'd encourage you to sit down and, and maybe do both. You know, watch the movie, read the book. But to kind of give those of you who have not seen it a recap, the novel is about a, a man. His name is Christian. We follow along his journey towards heaven. In the book, it's called The Celestial City. 
And along his journey, he's faced with many opposition, adversaries, and even the devil himself. You know, he's faced with gluttony and with pride and with doubt and with, you know, turmoil and despair. And then the devil himself comes and oh, just all of these things. But it serves as a very, very important challenge for us to keep our eyes focused on heaven. At every step of the way, you know, when Christian is, is, is doubting or when he's in the pit of despair, somebody comes along and says, hey, let me, let me pull you out of that. Let me lift your eyes back toward Christ. Hey, remember the celestial city and turn back and follow the, the, the way. You know, he even gets off the way for a period and then he comes back and, and constantly we see all of these good characters that are pulling him back and they're saying, no, this is the way. Remember, you're just a pilgrim. Don't stay. Uh, what, what was the, the, the town where there was all of the lust and the gluttony and Vanity Fair. There was a fair where there was nothing but pride and arrogance and games and all the, all the pleasures of the world. And there were people there that were even getting killed during that time. And there was con- this constant pull of Christian to look there, but then say, no, not that. I need, to, I need to look here. And you had the jester that was joking and constantly just mocking and making fun. And all of these things happen in the Christian's life every single day. And an important note about this novel is many times I hear it referred as Pilgrim's Progress. You know, yeah, I've read Pilgrim's Progress, but actually if you look at it, and this is very important, it's The Pilgrim's Progress. The official title is The Pilgrim's Process, not A Pilgrim's Progress, The Pilgrim's Progress. And you ask, why is that important? A simple change in A to The makes it very personal, makes it very specific. And this morning, if I may encourage you, dealing with Christ, you heard Pastor talk about it this morning, is very personal. When Christ asked Peter, he says, yeah, I know who men say that I am, but who do you say that I am, Peter? Who, who am I to you? Christ matters a great deal what, in our hearts. What are we doing with Christ? I hear a lot of people, you know, Muslims especially, they say, yeah, Christ was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. They have the wrong teaching of who Christ is. To, Christ to them is merely a teacher that cannot save them. But Christ to us must be who he is in the Bible. Christ to us must be the living Savior, not a dead Savior, not a false Savior, not a false prophet. He must be the living Savior in our lives this morning. And I pray again that if it's not become personal in your life, that this morning it would be very personal. Maybe he is Savior, but you've not been letting him lead you, and you would say, I need to turn back to him. I've gotten off the path. I need to get back to him. It can happen in our Christian lives. It happens, unfortunately, very often. The old song says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Very prone to wander. Very, very prone. So what is a pilgrimage? We see that Jacob says, look in verse 9, he says, And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. I'd love to live 130 years. Healthy, I may say. He says, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. This is a generational thing. He says, they were on a pilgrimage, now I'm on a pilgrimage, and my sons are going to be on a pilgrimage, and it's going to be very personal for all of us. And I said, when we see words repeated twice, we need to understand why they're there for. What is the purpose? In the Bible, if you were to do a word study, you could do it whether on the English word or even the Hebrew word if you'd like. Uh, I'm a, you know, a bit of a Semitic languages nerd myself, but... Um, Nonetheless, we see this word used three different times in Scripture. Three different times. The first time here is in Exodus chapter 6, or I'm sorry, the first time is, is here that we find this word used, at least in the specific way that it is. But we see in Exodus chapter 6, number, verse number 4, God is speaking to, the, to Moses and he's reconfirming his covenant with them. 
And he says that he's going to put them on a pilgrimage. They're going to be sojourners in the land. The second time we see the word used is in a different sense, and it means a journey to a sacred place. Psalm chapter 119.54 and Psalm 119.19, the psalmist says, I am a stranger upon the earth, a pilgrim on the earth, journeying toward a better home. So he says, I'm in the holy temple, but I'm still a stranger because I still have a better place to be. I have a more permanent home to be. The third time we see the word used is a different way. It means a long journey or a search, namely in one of significant importance. Now get this, church. A long journey. A long journey. Jacob said 130 years I've been on a pilgrimage. It has been hard. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. He said, I've had a hard life. And for all those who say, if you follow God, you're not going to have a hard life. That's a blatant lie. Sometimes following Christ means it's going to be harder. It's going to get more difficult. And Jacob's saying, Pharaoh, my years have been tough. They've been long. A long journey or a search, namely one of significant importance. I want you to listen to the couple verses I have here. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 13, the famous hall of faith that we have, as some have called it. After having talked about you know, the Davids and the Abrahams and all of those, it says these all have died in faith, not having received the promises, but get this, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You get that? It's a long journey. They saw them afar off, but they were persuaded they were searching, and they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Jacob is confessing to one of the most powerful men he'd probably ever stood before, aside from God. And he says, I am a stranger. I am a pilgrim in your sight. I don't belong to you. I don't belong to this earth. I belong to somebody greater than you, and that is Yahweh. That is God. That is Jesus Christ himself. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20, we see Paul says, writing in prison, he says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know conversation is our conduct. Paul is saying, my entire life is not of this earth. I belong somewhere else. He says, these chains can't hold me for nothing. I belong elsewhere. I am a stranger and a pilgrim in the earth. We see in 1 Peter, Peter writing to the diaspora, he says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. He says, you're dispersed, but listen, you still don't belong here. Even though you're out of the land you think you belong in, you need to have your eyes focused on heaven because that's where you belong. Whether you're in the land you think you deserve, whether that's Israel or America or wherever, that's not your home. Church this morning, wherever you live, it's not your home. It's heaven. If you are a born-again believer, your home is not what you build with your hands, where you work, where you minister at. It's heaven. Can I say it again? It's heaven. Don't get attached to this world. So what's the significance of this? In Genesis chapter 47, we see again one of the first words used of pilgrimage. Before this, though, and I, I love this, before we find the same wording used, we find strangers and sojourners used, but it's a different Hebrew word. Now get this. The word used before, this is the very first time we see this specific wording used. You can look this up in a Strong's Concordance or a BDAG or whatever you'd like. But before this, the wording is used to be a person that dwells and depends on wherever they're living. And you say, why is that important? Because they were not only living in the land, they were also dependent on those around us. See, but now Jacob is saying, he's saying, hey, Pharaoh, I want you to get this. He says, 
you may give me a land, you may give me materials, but I don't really need that because God's going to provide everything I need. He says, hey, hey, he says, wait a second, them boys before me, they were living and dependent because they didn't know you like I know you now. See, we, talk, we heard about Revelation this morning. As we see the progression of Scripture, we get more and more understanding of who God is to us, and we get more and more understanding that God is our personal provider. See, when they initially met God, they didn't really realize all of that. That came through progressive revelation. It came through the Scriptures. And now Jacob is here, and he's saying, I now not only understand that God is my master, I understand that he's going to provide everything that I need, no matter where I'm at. Anywhere I am, God's going to take care of me. So you can move me to Goshen, you can move me over there. God is where I'm going to put my dependence on. He says, and I want you to understand that. I want you to get that, Pharaoh. A very interesting word, and I have written down here, it's funny, Albert Brumley said, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And this is exactly what Jacob is telling Pharaoh. He's saying, I want you to understand that no matter what you give me, I'm not going to feel at home. I'm still going to be looking for a better place. I'm still going to make sure that I know where I belong. So Christian, this morning, let me ask you two questions. Do we know where we belong? Are you assured that you belong to the King of Heaven? Are you assured of that this morning? If you're not assured of that, you could see, I'm sure, one of these men of God. You could see your pastor. I mean, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it. But are you assured of where you belong? The second question I want to ask you this, as we heard this morning, did the angels beckon you to return there? Are the angels calling you to return? Is Jesus preparing a place as he promised for you this morning? Is there a place being prepared for you? Let's look at the characteristics very quickly of what it means to be a pilgrim. Jacob says, I'm a pilgrimage. I'm on my pilgrimage. My fathers were on their pilgrimage. So I think it'd be helpful to understand what that means for us. What does it look like? I feel as though many a Christian, they wander around the world today trying to find their purpose in this, trying to find their purpose in work or in sometimes even a church. Sometimes, you know, they're trying to find it in pastor. Pastor, what can I do for you? Instead of saying, Jesus, what can I do for you? And trusting that the pastor will understand that. He'll get that. Don't try to find your purpose in things where you're not going to be forever. Find your purpose in the one who is living forever this morning. So what are the characteristics of us? The first one, we've already said it. The pilgrim knows where he belongs. Jacob said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage, I understand from my birth to my life, my 130 years that I've been alive have just been a pilgrimage. I understand that at no point in my life have I been told to settle down and stop and just die and wait. That has never been in his mind. It's never crossed his mind because he knows where he belongs. And the pilgrim, the person who believes he is on the path back to heaven, knows where he belongs. I think of those who came to this country and yeah, back in the 1600s that had founded this great country, and many were desirous to find a place they could worship God freely. They desired to be able to serve Him and teach about Him and learn about Him and honestly raise a culture about Him. And aboard the, the Mayflower, to give you a little history, in 1620, there were two groups of people. I find this very intriguing. Two groups of people. There were those who were called saints and those who were called strangers. Now, this might get a little confusing. The strangers were those who were the secular colonists. They were merchants, skilled workers, etc. They weren't the strangers we find here in the Bible, which is a good thing. And then you have the saints, and those who were, they were those who desired to find a place to 
found a, found a church founded on God. They wanted to have a place where they could worship and serve and learn about him. And it was actually the saints who called the others strangers. You know why? Because he said it just doesn't make sense to live for all the world when we have heaven to live for. Many of these strangers, they, were, they called themselves Christians. And those who were saints, they said, that just doesn't make sense. It's strange. You say you're a Christian, but yet you want to get to the new world and you just want to you know, live for money and live for labor and live for skills. And you just want to do all that. That's so strange. It's contrary to what the Word of God says. What's wrong with you? You're strange. And many of us can live exactly like that. The first attribute is he knows where he belongs. The second is the pilgrim knows who his master is. The Mayflower, Com- the Mayflower Compact began with these six words, in the name of God, amen. In the name of God, amen. These men were coming over from another country and they had drafted a document and said, in the name of God, amen. They know who their master was, no matter what was going to happen in the new country. They had no idea. Listen, they didn't have satellite like we have now. You know, when I was first going to Poland, I was able to look at the country and see how, you know, see how it was. And they didn't know all that. So they said, hey, whatever happens in this new country, it's going to be in the name of God. Amen. And amen simply means so be it. So be it. Whatever happens, so be it. Because we know who our master is. We know who we belong to. And we know who our master is. So whatever those strangers over there are doing, whatever those weirdos are doing, we're going to be in the name of God. Amen. So be it. No matter what. Because we know who our master is. And church, do we even know who our master is sometimes? Sometimes we can have our eyes so fixated on the world that we forget that we are even bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your bodies, which are the Lord's. We have no idea sometimes. Because we've forgotten that everything must be in the name of God. Amen. So be it. The third thing. The pilgrim knows, get this, the pilgrim knows where his resources come from. And my wife's probably going to laugh at me because I'm constantly having to fight living by sight instead of living by faith. But the true pilgrim, the one who's on his path, knows where his resources come from. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. The true pilgrim knows where his resources come from. I'm I'm not telling us this morning that we're not to work and we're not to labor and we're not to strive to have nice things. It's not at all what I'm telling us. I'm merely telling us at the end of the day we have to make sure it's all filtered through the perspective of God, filtered through the perspective that heaven is our home. Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 10. I have a bunch of markings in here as well. I need to try to read through my handwritten notes. It's a problem with writing in your Bible if you've got messy handwriting. It says in verse number, let's skip up to number 9, it says, By faith he sojourned in the land, talking about Abraham, in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now listen, verse number 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is who, church? God. Whose builder and maker is God. There were cities... There were, there were places where people were inhabitants of. But he said, I need a place where God is the maker and founder and builder and Lord and master of everything because I know that my resources come from him. He said, I don't need a, I don't need a, a city that's already built. I need a city that's going to worship God and they're going to say, God, we need you to build this city. 
See, a lot of us, as we're looking for the perfect house, we're trying to say, I need, I need the house that's already furnished, and I need the basement done, and I need this done, and blah, blah, blah. And we don't even think about God building the house. We don't even consider the fact that God is going to be the one that gives us the resources. He's going to give us the skill. He's going to give us the, the mentality, the intellect. He's going to give us everything we need to build the house. And that's Abraham. He says, I was looking for a, a, a city whose builder and maker is God, which, of course, is heaven. Of course, that's heaven. No, no, no place on earth is going to be like that. You know why? Because you and I are sinners living in it. And we ruin everything. Come on, church. Amen. That's fine. Maybe I just ruin everything. Maybe you guys are great. Let me tell you something. Our founding fathers, contrary to what people say about them, they founded this, this country on God. They did. Read the documents. They founded this country on God. I want you to listen to some of these quotes. Benjamin Franklin said this. Here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence and that he ought to be praised. And I think that's good. Man, he governs it by his providence and he ought to be praised. Thomas Jefferson said the God who gave us liberty, life gave us liberty. Man, I love that. The God who gives us life gave us liberty to live out and worship him and serve him. John Hancock said this and Given our culture, I think it's applicable. He says, resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continuing steadfast, listen, with a proper sense of your dependence on God. Nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. Man, that just gets me excited. He says, stand steadfast with a proper sense of your dependence on God. These men knew where their resources came from. They knew, hey, all, and these men, we were talking about people that knew Greek and Hebrew and all of that. These men knew Greek and Hebrew and Latin and German and all kinds of languages. But they said, we have a proper dependence on God. It's God that's going to build this country. It's God that's going to sustain this country. It cannot be ourselves. It must be God. And they were pilgrims themselves coming from another country. Now let's look at the duty very briefly. We're almost through another time. The duty of the pilgrim. Verse number 13 of Hebrews 11, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them. Now church, read the last couple verses. It says, And confessed that they were strangers. Read it with me, church. And pilgrims on the earth. Notice a couple words. Verse number 13 says, and having seen them afar off, says they were persuaded of them. If you highlight or underline again, I would encourage you, having seen, persuaded, embraced them, confessed. Verse number 14, it says, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have opportunity to have returned. The duty of the pilgrim. Jacob, remember in Genesis chapter 47, Pharaoh's about to give him a new land. It's going to be a, a great land that's going to provide everything. He's going to be right in the vicinity of Egypt, who's going to give him the food and the, and, and the animals that they need and the, 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 the covering that he needs, everything. And Jacob said, let me get something real, 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 you know, right. Right off the right. I want to start this on the right foot. He says, Pharaoh, no matter what you can give me, I don't belong to you. He says, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, but I don't belong to you. I belong to God. Let's just get that right off, you know, let's make sure that we understand that. And we see that these, written in the, in the hall of faith, they have the same focus that he did. 
Look with me. It says, the pilgrim has a right focus. These are the duties of the pilgrim. If you and I are claiming to be Christians this morning, we have some duties to live out. Verse number 13, the pilgrim has a right focus. Verse 13 says, but having, not seen, having seen them afar off, they saw the promises at a distance. And we're getting closer and closer to the time Jesus returns. But it could still be a ways off. And we have to be diligent to be able to see far off and say, no matter how far away it is, I'm going to be persuaded to continue to focus. The Old Testament saints were able to visualize and focus on their lives ahead so they don't get caught up in the world today. Listen, every time that Best Buy comes out with a new TV, you need to be able to look at that TV and say, as good as that might be, there's going to be a tomorrow that I have to answer for. There's going to be a day I have to give an account for. Be able to see through that. I'm not seeing the football game that's on the TV. I'm seeing through all of that and be able to say, what's going to be tomorrow? What about next week for me? What if Jesus comes back? We need to live in that light. The Christian has a right focus. Number two, the pilgrim is to be persuaded of heaven. Persuaded of heaven. Heard it this morning about being persuaded that what we hold is the word of God. Verse 13 says, not having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. What is that? They were persuaded of the promises. When Jesus says that he's granting unto us eternal life, we must be persuaded that what he says is true. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you, we must be persuaded that what he says is true or else we're never going to follow through with it. And if you need to take a period in your life where you pray and you fast and you say, God, help me, help my unbelief, I need to believe these things, you must be persuaded because the world is trying to persuade you every single day. Just get on the news channel, get on Twitter, get on Instagram, and everybody persuade, buy this, buy this, smoke this, drink this, do this, do that. Constantly persuasion. Are you persuaded by what God says? What about what God says? Young people, what about what God says? Are you persuaded that you shouldn't wear that, that you shouldn't drink that? I mean, senior saints, are we persuaded that we should raise our kids and not just send them off somewhere? Are we persuaded that God has a promise for us? Are you persuaded of heaven? I can convince a lot of people to do anything, but it's hard to persuade somebody. Are you convinced or are you persuaded? There's a difference. Number three, the the, the pilgrim must embrace Christ. Look at verse 13 again. It says, and we're persuaded of them and embraced them. They embraced them. It means to greet. It means to actively search for and wait and long to be able to meet that person. Simply this, Christian, are you greeting Christ or are you constantly leaving him waiting? Does he constantly have to call and say, hey, you there? Hey, 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 I want to talk now. Or are you constantly waking up in the morning and when your feet hit the floor, you're saying, oh, I can't wait to meet Christ. Maybe at nighttime when you have your prayer time, you say, I can't wait to greet Christ. I can't wait to embrace Him. I can't, I'm longing for the day. John in Revelation said, even so, come Lord Jesus. He was embracing the return of Christ. Are we living like that? Or are we saying, oh man, maybe not today. I hope He doesn't come back today because i got to get that. I'm still waiting for a Corvette, but that's probably not going to happen. If anybody wants to get me one, by the way, I'll, I'll take it. We can put it in the love offering, right? Corvette, Mercedes, any of that. I'm just kidding. The pilgrim must confess his home, and this is a big one. Look at what it says again. And embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Remember a text verse in Genesis 47, standing before the most powerful man he'd ever stood before. He says, I don't belong to you, I belong to Christ. What about at your workplace, Christian? Are you a secret Christian, or do people know that you are? Listen, the first thing I do usually if people ask me, they say, hey, what do you do for work? I say, I like to preach the gospel. 
Not because I'm trying to be better than them, but because I want to create an inroad to where people know that I am a Christian. I'm not trying to be better than anybody, but I want to make sure that Christ is at the forefront of my life. Listen, if your neighbor, if every time you're out mowing the grass and he doesn't know that you're a Christian, there is an issue in your life. If people say, man, I didn't know you were a Christian, and you say, oh yeah, for 20 years I've been a Christian, there's a problem. You have to confess him. Say, hey, I am a Christian. Openly confess him. They confessed that Christ was their master. Number four, the pilgrim must confess their home. Must confess their home. They said, we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse number 14, it says, for they that say such things declare plainly. They make it visible that they seek a country. Nobody's questioning whether or not they're, they're going to heaven. Everybody knows they're going to heaven because they talk about it all the time. Or they're assured about it. When somebody says, I hope I'm saved, that person can say, I know I'm saved. You can reply with a no-so faith to a hope-so faith. Amen? We can have a no-so in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 15, David is writing after he built the temple. And listen to this. I, I love this. He's praying to, to God. He says, we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all of our fathers. It's a generational thing, church. Raise your children right. Our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. Practically what that's saying is he's saying the days on the earth are but a shadow of the real thing to come. This earth gives us no hope. Nothing. I hope that some of these wars cease and I hope that we figure things out, but guess what? I don't put my hope in any of that because at the end of the day, I know Jesus is going to return and those who are against him, he's going to take care of and it's, it's going to be a mess on their part. He's going to clean up everything. My hope is in the thing that's to come. This earth is but a shadow. There is no hope in this earth. And these pilgrims knew they had a better country. Lastly, very lastly, Verse number 16, the pilgrim must forsake all and follow Christ. The original pilgrims that founded this country forsook the comforts of their home. They went across the sea. They didn't know what was going to find them over here, but they said, in God, amen. So be it. This is going to be founded on God. We're going to live for God. We're going to make sure that God is the master of our lives. In verse 16, it says this, and I want you to get this. It says, but now, actually, we're going to look at verse 15, I'm sorry. It says, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country, if they thought about where they came from, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. You know what that is? That's as Paul says, that you, commit, you consider your old life dead. Kill all that old life off. When I came to Christ, all the drugs and the alcohol and the friends that I used to hang out with, they're all dead to me, every last thing. Now, some of those friends have come to Christ and they've come back into my life, but the way you used to live, that stuff needs to be killed and out of your life because you might have an opportunity to return if it's still there. Get rid of it. Verse 16 now, it says, but now they desire a better country that is and heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he hath prepared for them a city. Church, are you prepared to enter the city of God? Christian, along his life in Pilgrim's Progress, encountered many problems, but he persevered. And he said, I'm prepared to enter the city. Finally, when he got there, he had learned a lot. He had been through a lot of turmoils and despairs, and he said, I'm ready to enter heaven. I understand what it really means to be a Christian. Church, can I ask you, are you ready to enter heaven? If you're a Christian this morning, are you considering 
that God is the builder of that city. There's going to be no death there. There's going to be all hope there. There's going to be no no wars there, no troubles. God is the master and builder of the city. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, what? I would not have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And the last thing I want to give you this. Jesus says, I've prepared a place for you, and I want you to be assured of that. And then in the book of Revelation, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It says elsewhere that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. One of the biggest tragedies about mankind going to hell is it's not even made for him. It's made for the devil and his angels. But because God is a just God, he unfortunately sends men and women there daily. Daily. Can I have every head bowed and every eye closed? I'll hand this over to the pastor. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you for God just loving us and caring for us. Thank you for preparing a place for us. God, thank you so much just for not leaving us in our sins, but in making a way out of it. I do pray that you bless us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, Pastor.